0: Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Join the show this week as ever, we've got James Sweeten and James, looking forward to talking all things Sport in Salford.
1: Yeah, most certainly Rob. I've had a bit of a hiatus over the past couple of weeks, swanning around in Greece, but I'm back now. I'm delighted to be back. And after Alexander Usyk's tremendous victory over Anthony Joshua, I can't wait to give my analysis on this week's show.
0: Yeah, lots and lots to get out. This week, Jane's going to start with a football. Manchester United, surprise home defeat against Aston Villa. Bruno Fernandes missed a last-minute penalty. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men go down to
1: defeat. Yeah, a deeply disappointing result. It was an opportunity for Manchester United to rocket up the table. They weren't able to take advantage of that. And it was deeply disappointing for Fernandes to miss that penalty. And how do you think he's feeling right now? Because he really did cost us.
0: Yeah, it's a real surprise. He's really good at penalties normally. Um, it's pressure. Obviously, Man United conceded the, the late winner uh, against Villa, so when the penalty does come at Old Trafford, facing the Stratford end, that's all the ultimate pressure in it, and he's skied it. I think it's still in orbit now by the sound of it, um, but I suppose with Ronaldo in the squad, does Ole have a decision to make on who takes the next penalty, James? Because I was looking at the stats and Bruno Fernandes has scored 21 out out of 23 penalties, but Ronaldo scored 18 out of 22. So both are quite successful penalty takers. So it'll be interesting to see who he picks for the next one.
1: I mean, obviously both successful penalty takers. Ronaldo, of course, was Ronaldo missing, wasn't he? In that high-pressure Champions League final. But in general, a very good penalty taker. I wonder if it would slightly dent Bruno Fernandes' confidence if he was taken off that role. It might, James. I think it could because obviously he uh, is a safe pair of hands normally.
0: And uh, if Oli decides to switch it to Ronaldo, how does Bruno react to that? Because obviously what Oli is saying is, Bruno, I don't trust you to make these big, uh, you know, big moments in games successful left for United. And it's it's a really. Interesting situation for Ollie because obviously he's got to manage the people, but he's also got to manage the egos as well, and that's an important thing. All these top players have egos that have to be shaped, uh, and it will be interesting to see what happens next in this uh, in this penalty situation. Because don't forget, it's not a new thing for Man United. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a they had a problem with penalties, didn't they? they missed about three in a row, so it is, it is a thing that that kind of creeps, creeps up on us from time to time.
1: I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, would you say you mentioned the egos there, and he's certainly got a massive one. Hmm. He wanted that number seven shirt and he took it straight off Edison Cavani. If he wants to take the penalties, do you think Oli Gunnar Solskjaer will just give it him?
0: Like I said, it'd be interesting. I, I don't think it would be a good idea for just to give it to Ronaldo because obviously Bruno Fernandes is Man United's top penalty taker. Yeah, he misses his important one. Uh, but can you just give it to to Ronaldo after just one miss? What kind of message does that send out to everybody in in the squad and in the team that, you know, if you don't uh, match up, I'm just going to give it to Ronaldo. It's like, what happens if Ole doesn't start producing the goods or winning trophies? Does, do we just give Ronaldo the manager's job as well?
1: Is that the way it works? So well, this is interesting. I mean, Ronaldo's got such a big say at whatever club he goes to. Mm. And something I to ask you about, Rob, this week is... I've seen a few people commenting on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, and he plays somewhat risky tactics in the sense that he's always going for that attack. And under Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, people sometimes criticise us for not going for it enough. That we were content with just playing safe football and that people would maybe even rather watch us lose but play exciting football than watch us win and play boring football that we were mm. doing under Jose Mourinho and under Louis van Gaal. Under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, we might lose games, but we're playing exciting football, and is that good as a Manchester United fan? Are you excited and happy that we're playing football like this?
0: I think it's the Man United way, James. We we want to see a swashbuckling, uh, attacking football. Um, I, I think all these kind of getting the, the right combination at the moment, like you know, Sanchez in the team, Ronaldo uh, you know, he's getting an idea, Bruno Fernandes, of, of how this system works and you know, as a Man United fan, we want to be entertained, but we also want to win, I, I think it kind of harps back to the you know the, the, the old days of the Tommy Docks Red and White Army where they just sort of played attacking football and you know, people fell in love with Man United at that point all over the country because they were just a, a team that everyone wanted to see because they were playing one Wonderful football, and this as well as the Ferguson years, you know they produced some fantastic moments as well. So I, I think it's important that Man United entertain, but you have to win as well, and it, and it's a way of balancing that. I think football, in sort of general, James, has changed. I don't think you can kind of play that all-out attack system the way it used to be. It's a more calculated approach now, but you can still attack as well as as keep a shape and, and keep defense your know, defensive you know structure in place for me though manchester united uh, playing with two sort of defensive midfielders at home to aston villa sends the wrong message out for me you know with you know fred uh, and McTominay uh, and matic and and you know these players Are they good enough to to take Man United to that next level? And for me, they're not. And Oli does need to improve in that area because I don't think with them in our team, we win win a championship or a European Cup. We we need a a sort of A-star, five-star player in that area to take us to that next level. Uh, And until we get one, we're going to be struggling in this kind of like you know, replay action of of being in that top three, top four and not being able to step up to that next level.
1: When you look at Manchester United starting 11, it's pretty clear to see that the central defensive midfielders that we've got Mm. aren't quite up to scratch, especially when you compare them with the rest of the team. So it baffles me as to why we're playing two of them. Just playing one of them for me, that'd be a clear weakness.
0: Yeah, I I think what it is, I think deep down, he plays with two because Harry Maguire isn't, the quickest centre centre half, so I think they're there p- to protect him. But Harry Maguire is an is an important. Player for us is is our captain. He's our centre half. So so Ollie has decided he needs to play in this team. So I feel he plays them two to protect him. Like England, with England they played with three at the back, so they had Harry Maguire in the middle, and you had uh, two quick centre centre halves with him. So they covered his ability to not be not to run very fast and, and get caught out. So. I think Man United decided that instead of playing with three at the back, they'd go with the two holding midfielders. So then you're protecting Maguire. You know that that's that, that's my opinion, um, and we'll have to wait and see whether that you know it plays out like that. Um, but we'll have, it's one of them, I, th- I think until you get uh, at least one sort of quality, quality defensive midfield like a Kante at Chelsea Kante was on the uh, was on the, uh, one the on the fringes at one point at Chelsea would have been ideal player for us um, but if we can get a player like that into the team to take a little bit of pressure off that central midfield area to be able to distribute as well it's not all about breaking the breaking the opposition's attacks down and protecting your back four. It's about keeping the ball moving and dictating pace. A lot of people used to talk about Paul Scholes in his older, his later years, being able to dictate the pace of a game. And I think we lack that at the moment. So, We'll have to wait and see what ollie has got in the pipeline with Christmas, with Christmas coming up the next transfer window and transfer windows you know, into the future, whether he can bring someone in in that area to take us to that next level. But for me, at the moment, we're just not strong enough. And that's why we're losing to the likes of Aston Villa at home because we're not able to break these teams down. And that's why we won't win a championship because you can go to Liverpool and you can go to Chelsea and you can go to City and win. But if you get beat against Villa at home, uh, and drop points at home against teams like that, and Norwich, and these teams that are scratching around mid-table, bottom of the table. You don't pick up the wins there. That's why you don't win championships.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with there, Rob. I mean, going into this game this week against Villarreal, hmm. we've obviously started very poorly in Europe this season with that loss to Young Boys, yeah. and of course we've gone on a bit of a skid losing to West Ham and going straight out of the League Cup and then losing to Aston Villa. Shrink, it's likely that we use again to Real, especially considering, you know, they beat us in that Europa League final. And really, it's a chance at redemption for us. So there could be an element of pressure there.
0: Yeah, there is that, James. But like I say, the young boys' defeat kind of shows where Man United are. They, they go down to 10 men because Wamba Saka gets sent off for a clumsy challenge. And we just decide to try and hang on. And we haven't got players... To be able to to see a game out like that, we haven't got the game management in us to 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 go and get a point away from home in big games like that. And I think as well, we we lost to West Ham, didn't we, in the EFL? And that's another key game because you think about it, we played our fringe players in that game, and it was an opportunity for them to impress and you know put on a performance and and give Ollie you know a bit of a thought about what happens in the next game. Can I bring some some of these lads in? And we got beat 1 0, James. And, and that is why, you know, as a squad, I don't think we're strong enough. And it, and it worries me because obviously we're Man United. We should be able to do that. We should be able to bring, you know, quality proven players into the team and the quality shouldn't drop. But unfortunately,
1: it does. And that's why we are where we are. So when you look at those central defensive midfielders, you've got Matic, you've got Fred, McTominay's in that mix as well. Yeah. Did you see that? Is the only weak link in our starting eleven or is there another area that stands out to you no I, th- I think that 's the area that 's the key area because it 's it's, it's an important part of a team because
0: it 's about shielding your defense which is, which is an important part, but also being able to distribute the ball and i don 't see that there's like you said a lot of sideways and not much going forward and, and that 's the problem because teams know that, so they press they 'll press the likes of McTominay and they'll press the likes of Fred, and they know that they, they can crack under pressure. Matic as well. Matic has been a good player, but father time catches up with everybody. And is, is this the time where he's showing his age? It could possibly be, James. But I think if we can get a decent central defensive midfielder in that area, we go from a three out of five team to a four or five out of five team.
1: So you say that, I mean, you take Matic and you take Fred and you remove them from that starting 11 and you yep. bring somebody new in to play playing that central defensive midfield role would that be the missing ingredient that's preventing us from winning a Premier League title if somebody comes in a great player a great central defensive midfielder and gets that team ticket do you think we can go on to win league titles yeah I do James I think
0: that's the, the big area in this Man United side that that, that turns us into a, a, into a championship European Cup competing team. And team, other teams know that, and that's why they, they, they focus on dispute, you know, disrupting us in that area. If we can bring a, a player, like a Kante, or another player of that ilk into this team, we go from nearly men to the, to the men that win stuff.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And Now we move on to Manchester City. A 6-1 victory against Wickham, fantastic, and then a 1-0 victory against Chelsea. And a lot of people are viewing Chelsea this year as the team to beat. So, how big a victory was this for the blue side of Manchester?
0: Massive, massive win. Like I said before, James, it's it's all about going to into these important games and winning. And and that's what Man City do. You can go to Chelsea and and win, and that is what they did without a centre, without a recognised centre forward. Jesus with with the goal, and you know Pep Guardiola has his system, don't he? That he used at Barcelona, It's he's kind of working that magic at Man City now, and he's getting the results. And with Man City, with all these star players. In every position on on the field and also in the squad, he knows he can rotate and he brings the players in and the quality doesn't go down. And and that is why Man City are where they are because they can grind a result out when they need to. Uh, Unlike Man United, who struggle, and that's why at the end of the season, Man City will be there and thereabouts, and Man United won't be. You've got to credit Pep Guardiola, he spent a lot of money, but he spent it well on very, very good players. And that is why uh, you know, you're looking at Man City, you're thinking to yourselves, yeah, you know, we're in the league, you know, they are going to compete. The next step is European Cup, and it's about balancing that that ability to play the Premier League week and week out and keeping your intensity high, but then going to the likes of Paris Saint-Germain and going up another level. Because it's going to be tough the next uh, European Cup game, Paris Saint-Germain and get Maris Manningham away from home. You know They're going to be looking at that as being a crunch game. If they can go there and get a result, what kind of message does that send out to, to the whole of Europe?
1: Well, there's no doubt, Rob. It's an absolutely massive game. Paris Saint-Germain. Manchester City. And the most interesting factor for me is Rob. Lionel Messi, he was linked with Manchester City. Pep Guardiola looked like he was gonna get the man on board, but the Argentinian went to France. I'm assuming now that he's gonna be looking to make a statement against Manchester City and show that he made the right decision moving to France.
0: Oh definitely, because obviously he's gone to France and he's he's picked Paris Saint-Germain over Manchester City about winning the European Cup. And Paris Saint-Germain have this ambition to win the European Cup. Their seven points clearly in their domestic uh, league. You know, I know it's only early. I know it's only September. But that team is full of class. So, they know as long as they keep the engine ticking over, they should see the season out. And it's all about the European Cup for them now. A bit like Man City, really, because it, the longer this sort of drought goes on, you know, of nearly winning the European Cup, the pressure builds on Man City to finally get over the line. They lost last season against Chelsea. Uh, Pep would have spoken to his plays about that and, and how they got it wrong on the on the final hurdle. And they'll be They'll look to, to rectify that uh, this season, but it's going to be interesting. Like I say, you know, Lionel Messi, world-class player, um, was at Barcelona. He'll have to do it all again in the Paris Saint-Germain shirt. Uh, to, you know, to silence the doubters who were who were looking at him, thinking he's 34. You know, has he still got the magic in them boots? Uh, and it'll be interesting to see
1: what happens next. Yeah, most certainly will be Robert. Then they've got another huge game coming up away at Liverpool, mm. the team who are currently. At the top of the Premier League table, the only team left in the league with an unbeaten record, and who do you see as the favourites going into this one? Well, it's interesting because obviously Liverpool will be competing um, on all fronts, and
0: a draw last week against Brentford um, shows have the has a bubble has a bubble burst uh, for Liverpool because their championship-winning season, they went to teams like. Brent, uh, Brentford at the time uh, and got three points so to get tagged back in this in a 3-3 thriller uh, does that show that pe- that uh, Jurgen Klopp's men have lost it C- can can they go to teams like Brentford and and get a result man city v liverpool is going to be you know blockbuster isn't it uh, and win it- whoever wins that will you know, add a bit of psychological advantage going on to the next, uh, you know, few weeks or months of the season. So we'll be here to see what happens, especially because obviously Pep and, and Jürgen are two top coaches as well. They're top of their game. So it's uh, it's competition at every level, in every position. And it's, uh, you know, certainly something that us fans can, can tune in and
1: enjoy. Looking slightly further down that league table, Arsenal have rose from 20th to 10th over the past few weeks. So mm-hmm. they're in a much better position than they were. But Tottenham in 11th and Leicester in 13th, two big shocks for me. What do these two teams have to do to get back in that contention? Because at the start of the season, they'd want to be competing for Champions League places, and they're not doing that at the moment. Well, you've got to win games,
0: James, aren't you? And I think that the top three, top four, top five teams just win every week. They find a way. And if you're dropping points um, against teams who should win, that is why you end up down there. And it's it's important that you don't drop too many games too early. Because if you do, you're out of the race and and then you're in this kind of like weird situation where too far away from the league leaders to catch too far away from the bottom to worry. You just go gliding in mid table and and it, how it affects the players, then how it affects the the the, the sponsors, and um, so they will need to start winning and winning quick uh, to to catch these uh, top three, top four uh, teams because them teams won't drop points. So you need to get uh, you need to get winning and and sharpish.
1: In other Premier League news, Sami and Nasri has announced his retirement from professional football. Of course, many will remember him for making 129 appearances for Manchester City, making 41 appearances for France in his heyday. A great player. He's had a bit of a fall from grace. His last team was Anderlecht. He only made seven appearances for them, scoring just one goal. And he was released in 2020. He hasn't played any professional football since. And he's now announced his retirement. Bit of a sour end to his career, but he was a great player in his prime, wasn't he?
0: He was. He, he was a good player and he was kind of involved in that process of building Man City up to where they are now. And, and you can't underestimate the, the the effect he had on that City group because he came from the likes of Arsenal where they went on and won stuff. So he would have brought that mentality to Man City and, and that helped shape the club. And, and yet, Obviously, we're sad that, you know, his career has come to an end. Uh, but our father time catches up with everyone, doesn't it? So, uh, he's, he'll enjoy his retirement uh, and hopefully we'll see him back in football soon.
1: Just quickly touching on Salford City before we move on. A 2-2 draw against Northampton and now they've got a clash coming up against Colchester away from home. Salford currently in 19th and they can do to start winning, couldn't they? Yeah, 2-2 draw, Northampton, Ash Easton. Uh, with the
0: last minute equaliser, um, obviously important that you're picking points up early in this season. Like, like we said, you know, if you're not getting points on the board, teams the, the gaps can appear, James, can't they? And it's important that that Salford start winning games. Yeah, they got a point against Northampton. Uh, they've kind of struggled a bit, haven't they, um, early um, in this season, getting you know getting results. So you're hoping, you know, Gary Bowyer's men. Can uh, use this as a bit of a springboard, um, you know, for the next few games in, in, the, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, obviously, this is uh, Gary Bowyer's reaction to the uh, to the the draw against
1: Northampton.
2: Well, Gaffer, over the years we've had some, you know, really memorable late goals, and I think that'll go down as one of the latest. You know, a really deserved draw in the end, but could and should it have been more? Uh, I think so. I think on, you know, when you look at the the statistics of the possession that we had and. Um, you know, their goalie makes a great save as early as the second, third minute. Um, and then obviously we've hit the post and we've had a couple of great opportunities second half where the ball's flashed across and you wonder how we had not got on the end of it. But um, I have to say the player's character and the, the fighting spirit and the desire to keep going was, was evident again today. You know, we scored a late goal here the other week to win the game against Bradford. Uh, and I was really pleased with the reaction as well when we scored the late goal again because they didn't go and celebrate, they picked the ball up and put it on the, pen- uh, the centre spot ready to go again because they wanted to try and win the game and that's, that's what we've got in the dressing room, you know? it's a new group coming together They've been hindered by injuries again and suspension this week but rather than making them as excuses it's uh, provided opportunities for people and um, we've had a right good go. Says a lot about the character doesn't it like say that's two home games now you know two goals in two for Lundy you know to keep going until the end that never say die attitude one of the fundamentals I suppose Well it's pleasing uh, when you see that uh, so early on in the, in the season you know um, I think um, everything else that you then add and you layer to as the season progresses but to see that like you say that habit of scoring late and and that tells you a lot about the character of that group Uh, you know Lundy's strike was a wonderful goal the two goals that we've conceded we're disappointed with Um, I'm sure Northampton will be disappointed with our equaliser but they can't be too disappointed with the quality of Lundy's strike made some changes Ash Hunter his first league start Uh, Tom Elliott's not had too many starts so him coming back in how did you find those changes? Oh well, I think it's that's what I mean. It's going to be a bit stop-start, isn't it? We've had um, Ash missing with sort of like uh, isolation. Tom Elliott's had isolation. Tom Elliott's then been injured, and so you know we're just waiting for people to get the runs of games going, and then obviously momentum comes from them. The timings are better as well, and relationships are better. But I thought the pair of them today we, were terrific for us, and what a ball in that is at the end from Ash. match I think Tom was a handful throughout and uh, you know he set up the goal brilliantly and Remy coming on for his debut as well how do you find he did obviously you know came in quite late this week yeah Remy's made a lot of personal sacrifices to be with us Uh, you know he's come in off his own back uh, and then you know like I say we've, we've we've lost the two strikers and then Obviously, uh, Damani was missing today and he picked up a knock on Thursday, so it's, it's left us short in that area. So, it just provide us with a bit more cover on that. But knowing Remy has to do from the time that we had him on loan, he'll want to be forcing the place and starting the loan.
0: That was Gary Bowyer uh, talking about the reaction uh, to the two-two draw, James, and he was obviously talking about how you know Salford, you know, gave the effort was there. Northampton are a good side, uh, and you know, two-two, the, the last minute equal by Eastham, uh, you know, saved a point, uh, but he knows plenty more to come from this team.
1: Now moving on to the world of ice hockey, and Manchester Storm started their season this week. Talk us through it, Rob. Yeah, so.
0: This season, James, has started for the Manchester Storm. We're all super excited about it. The first game uh, sort of last week was against Coventry Blaze. It was a friendly game. They won 5-4 uh, goals from Fawcett and Brady uh, and Wade uh, McClelland. Uh, gave the Storm confidence going into the uh, the Challenge Cup game uh, against Sheffield, which was on Saturday. They went down uh, 8 eight goals to three at the Storm Shelter. Um, It was a good game, to be fair. Sheffield had a good side. Uh, It was a derby contest. It was blood and thunder. And I'm sure, obviously, Ryan Finney would have been a bit, I'm sort of annoyed, obviously, because it's Sheffield and, and, they, and they want to put one over on the rivals that they couldn't quite do it. But I don't think they should be downhearted about uh, that situation. Um, Sheffield are a good team and I'm sure, you know, these players, it's early on in the season, they're still getting used to playing with each other, James. So you, you're hoping they'll, they'll, they'll get better as, as the season goes on. Um, I, this is uh, Ryan Finney's uh, press conference after the game, is what he had to say.
3: Right, not the uh, opening night you would have wanted, but it was always going to be difficult after that first period, going three goals down inside 13 minutes.
4: Yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime you spot a uh, you know the team like that, uh, three goals, it's always going to be a tough, tough fight back at that. But I mean, we make it a one-shot game with with ten in the in the uh, in the third, and then you know, um, tough. Uh, I, I think a tough call on, on, on Springer there, you know, we get seven, you know, it's probably, should have been a little tighter than seven, but uh, they made the call and, you know, that's yeah, what you're going to get against that team, I guess. But it was, um, you know, 5-3 game, 4-3 game and I thought we, we, we got better as the game went on, but obviously we just came to big the spread.
3: seemed to be much better in the second period. How did you motivate the, the players after going in so far behind?
4: i think we just we started playing our game we got pucks in on deep i mean you want to get on the four chicken against a team like that and they transition well and um you know they, they're they're solid offensively same as they they were last year um so there yeah it just just kind of got pucks in deep and then got got to their to their uh to their goalie there um and yeah we just didn't get we you know we need to do that from the start we needed to to establish that four check and we we didn't
3: yeah, and a couple of goals for Dallas Earhart again on his 250th appearance for the Storm, a good night for
2: him.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he would have liked to, to, to be on the other end of the score sheet and uh, for the club. But yeah, I know it's, it's a great honour for him to 250 games, a lot of games in, in, one, in one jersey for, for any import. Uh, you know, um, honour to, to have him as a, as a captain on this team here. And,
3: and looking ahead to the next game, how do you regroup the players, refocus them
4: after a game like this? I think yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, I, you know, I don't, you know, I think the guys understand where we're at. It's it's a Challenge Cup game. It's the first uh, uh, of, of quite a few. Um, you know, we uh, we'll, we'll identify what we did well, what we didn't do well, um, and then move on. But tomorrow's, you know, tomorrow's a league game against a very good Guilford team. And again, it's exciting when you haven't seen a lot of a lot of the new teams. A lot of there's been a lot of change in in a lot of the teams too, and a lot of new personnel. So.
0: So that was Ryan Finity talking about uh, the defeat against Sheffield James, and, and he talks about the the three goals uh, the Storm conceded early against Sheffield. He was happy with the the second period of of the game, um, and he thought that Storm sort of got back into the contest, which was important. He was also delighted that uh, Dallas Earhart, the the skipper of the of the side, uh, scored on his two hundred fiftieth game for Manchester Storm James. So uh, we know we all we all know how important uh, Dallas Earhart is uh, to 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 Manchester Storm, uh, so to score on his 250 appearance uh, was 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 great for for him. Uh, then they had to go to Guildford on Sunday uh, and lost three nil. This is what Ryan Finney had to say
4: uh, after the defeat. Obviously, a uh, frustrating night for for our standpoint. Um, we just never really got going. You know, we didn't get much life. Uh, uh, special teams obviously was was weak tonight, and yeah, we just uh, we just couldn't execute. We never really. Got any any offense going all night, which is uh, very disappointing. Yeah, I mean it's a um, you know it's uh, it's um, we've been off for so long. It's it's um, you know a lot of a lot of new faces and you know kind of um, the first look at what this league's all about. There is no easy games. There is no off nights. You know if you want to win, you got to compete for for fifty four plus games. And and tonight we just didn't do that. So we got to we got to have a hard week of practice. Um, you know we got to we really got to look at at. Uh, what this uh, identity of this team is going to be, and, and how we're going to play, because right now, you know, the last two games haven't been good enough.
0: It wasn't to be for Manchester Storm. They huffed and puffed, uh, but couldn't break Guilford down. And... Yeah, it's been
4: a bit of a difficult start for
1: Manchester Storm, but Ramfinity will have massive confidence that we can improve throughout the season. What are the next games coming up, Rob? Yeah, the next games, uh, James, um, are.
0: Saturday they play Sheffield away, uh, and then Nottingham home on Sunday at the Storm Shelter, and I'm, I'm sure uh, the Manchester Storm fans will be looking to that to that game uh, to register that first win. You know we'll be we'll be looking out for them on the, the sports home, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll win the next uh, couple of games and get that uh, you know win off the back now. So. Let's talk USC now, James. And USC two six six gave us one of the best fights of the year. Break it down to us. Break it down for us, James.
1: Well, Rob, Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega put on one of the best fights I have ever seen. Blood guts. Two warriors went to war. It was utterly incredible. Volkanovsky with a clear striking advantage. He was absolutely incredible, and he showed every last glimmer of championship heart to survive several submission attempts from Brian Ortega. It was exciting throughout the entire contest. There were moments where Volkanovski looked like he might stop Ortega, but then the American would rally back with these amazing and orthodox submission attempts. I mean, at one point, he had Volkanovski in a guillotine, and he very, very nearly put the Australian to sleep, but it wasn't to be for the challenger. The champion retains his belt, and he epitomises what it is to be a champion. Cool, calm collected, a warrior, heart. He has absolutely everything. He's charismatic, and I think he could be a massive star in the UFC if he's promoted right, Rob.
0: The woman's flightweight champion put on a spectacular performance in the co-main event. Where does she go from here, James?
1: It's very difficult to say where Valentina Shevchenko goes from here because quite simply, Rob, she's millions and millions and millions of miles ahead of every single woman in that flyweight division. She's almost ahead of her time because there's nobody who's quite been able to catch up to the level that she's on or even come anywhere close, to be quite honest with you. The only fight I'm keen to see her take is Amanda Nunes in the weight division above. Yes, they fought twice in the Brazilian Nunes, has come away the victor on both occasions. Most people think she was very lucky to win that second fight. So I think the two of them run it back because To be quite frank, Rob, these are the two best female fighters of all time and I'd like to see them dance every single week if I could. So I'd love to see a third fight because they're the only two people who really can challenge each other.
0: One of the biggest stars in the sport made his comeback on Saturday night after six years away from UFC, but it wasn't the triumphant return the fans wanted and hoped for.
1: Yeah, Rob, it was deeply saddening to watch Nick Diaz the man from Stockton, somebody who's renowned for having so much fighting heart, so much desire, somebody who'd never say die, give up. He took a right hand off Robbie Lawler in the third round and he told the referee that he didn't want to rise back to his feet and subsequently the fight was waved off. Nick Diaz in his younger years gave everything to the fight game and many people will remember that in 2015 he tested positive for marijuana, And for some ridiculous reason, that gave him a four-year suspension. I mean, people have lesser suspensions for taking actual performance-enhancing drugs. And it was quite clear that Nick Diaz didn't really want to return to the octagon. He didn't want to be in there. He was fighting because he had to, whether that's because he needs the money or his management set it up on his behalf and he wasn't really keen to fight at all. That's what he seemed to be implying in his faux-fight interviews. He didn't want to be in there. There were glimmers of the former Nick Diaz, I mean, his boxing looked superb, he was landing some good shots on Robbie Lawler, but the inactivity paid his toll, and ultimately the fact that he just didn't want to fight paid its toll. You could see the expression on his face, he wasn't happy taking the punches, he didn't want to be in there, and I hope that he can find some peace in his life going forward.
0: Obviously, it's his final sort of appearance in the UFC. How does the sport of UFC replace Nick Diaz?
1: It's difficult because Nick and his brother Nate, the Diaz brothers, offer something so much different to the sport. Neither of them are necessarily the greatest athletes in the world, but they're the old-school gangsters, if you will, of mixed martial arts. Real fan favourites. They've got huge cult-like followings. And to answer your question, Rob, I don't know if Nick and Nate can ever be replaced. Nick has been out of the sport since 2015, and I feel like it would have been better if he'd have left on the Anderson Silva performance. Coming back six years later, it's a long, long time to be inactive, and I know the a natural-born fighter, but when that isn't there anymore, is which seemed to be the case on Saturday night, I don't think he should ever step foot in an octagon again, and if he retires, and then, of course, Nate, he can't have many wars left in him. He, he's coming into the twilight of his career as well. I don't think anybody will ever replace the Diaz brothers. I think they have that cult following, and I think they'll be ultimately OGs of this sport
0: Yep, so that's all the UFC chat and now we're going to talk uh, boxing with uh, James and
1: Paul Now moving on to the boxing and I am delighted to be joined by Paul Whiteside and we're going to discuss what was an amazing crowning of the new heavyweight champion of the world, Alexander Usyk put on an absolutely incredible performance in absolutely dismantling Anthony Joshua to pick up three of the four heavyweight belts, he was on the front foot the entire night, boxing beautifully. His footwork was completely mesmerising. Anthony Joshua didn't seem to know what to do with the Ukraine. It was a puzzle that was too difficult for him to solve. Usyk, great performance, and he's our new heavyweight champion, Paul.
3: Yeah, it was a tremendous performance, really was. And um, I think perhaps people were expecting Anthony Joshua to be... They're just that too big for him and 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 Usyk to be a rabbit in the headlights, but no, that wasn't to be, it was completely the opposite, wasn't it? Um, tremendous performance. And you know, Anthony Joshua, it, I wouldn't say he was a limited fighter, but he's he's, he's a fighter of certain skills. Whereas usick has proved there, that he's, he's a complete boxer, really. Is his footwork was, was tremendous for you no, know, for a guy that's coming at a decent weight, you know, to move the way he did. Was so slippery and so 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 hard for Joshua to deal with, really. And uh, you know, some of the punching power he put on on Joshua. We had to see the, the, his face at the end of the fight. He took took some some shots there. So yeah it was a, I wouldn't say a punch perfect performance, but not far off it. It was a tremendous performance, and um, you know, one that really puts him up there now. and He's going to be a, a real big player now in the heavyweight division. I'm not so sure where Anthony Joshua goes from here. I think he, I think he'll live to fight another day. There's no doubt about that. He's still, still up there. But um, you know, for, for Usyk now, the, the the world's really there for him. I mean, he's proved that he belongs on that sort of stage of, of world world heavyweights. I mean, people were questioning, weren't there, the jump up, the size difference, and everything like that. But now I think you're looking at a real, real special fighter. There, great performance and fully deserved his uh, his victory.
1: Anthony Joshua came in at one of his career lightest weights and he attempted to box Alexander Usyk rather than fight him they were the tactics that Robert McCracken came up with and going into a rematch which seems likely to occur with Joshua of course having a rematch clause. does he need to completely switch up his tactics was it the wrong decision to try and box Alexander Usyk should he have flown at him and just tried to bombard him with his size and power
3: yeah that's what I thought he was going to do I thought in the first round that's what we were going to see. Um, I was thinking to myself if, if Joshua wins, I can see him winning it in the first round, just coming out and absolutely, like you said, throwing at him like, like a, a whirlwind, you know, a real storm at him, and you know, completely overwhelming Usyk. But I think the more you try and box someone like you, so he he's, he's quality. I don't think he, I don't think Anthony Joshua, great respect to him, I don't think he's anywhere near. The, the box of the Usyk is. I don't think he can box like that. I think if he wants to beat him, he'd have to change his game and, and just come on to him and, and and just try and trap him like he's done a lot of his fights. A lot of his fights, he's backed people up into the corner and completely overwhelmed them, hasn't he? With, with a torrid of punches and, and that power that he possesses as well is what's caught a lot of people out. So um, so yeah, I think that's the way you'd have to you'd have to fight really. I I don't think you, you're outboxing somebody like Usyk unless he has a, a bit of an off night. But he's going to be some man to outbox.
1: After Alexander Usyk's incredible win over Anthony Joshua, attention now switches to a potential matchup with the Gypsy King Tyson Fury, provided he can get past a very dangerous Deontay Wilder, and provided Alexander Usyk wins the rematch with Anthony Joshua, it looks like the pair could collide in what would be an absolute mega fight. Usyk and Fury, two of the best boxing brains the heavyweight division has ever seen. Two people who present puzzles that no other heavyweight has been able to solve. Could you imagine these two boxing greats in the ring together, trying to figure each other out? I think it'd be an absolute spectacle, Paul. And I don't quite know who would win. What are your early thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, um, we're looking at some some good facts, aren't we? Coming up now, and you, you look at the the division. There's still some some magical fights there, and and I think all the fighters that we've spoke about, we've mentioned the likes of Wilder and, and sort of the the big four or five as we, we probably speak about them now. I think there's an all sorts of conundrums and you know matchups we can make there, and I think you know despite the the result of the weekend, I think there's some still some massive fights there. We're talking about. You know, some people have said to me, I don't think we'll see the Fury against Joshua fight now happen. I think that that's nice. Nah, st- I still think there's these fights are there to be made. I don't think this changes anything. Really, I think it, the fight of the weekend. I think just just emphasises what a great fighter Alexander Uch is. I don't think it takes away these other fights that we, we could see. Um, you know, the belts are there, are there now. He's got the belts, and people are going to challenge him. But you know, Fury against Uch is going to be a great fight if that happens. I think there's some some ma- magical matchups. You know, over the next. Probably be next year now, only a lot of them, so um, so there's, there's an awful lot to look forward to there. I mean, it's, it's a great division anyway, and you've just got somebody else who's come in there as well now to to sort of join the party, so um, so I, I can't wait to see what comes up next.
1: Looking at the undercard, Lawrence Ciccoli put in a great performance against an overmatched Dylan Prasovic, and he moves on now to look at potential unifications with the likes of Maris Bradis and Alungu Makabu. Callum Smith landed a scary knockout against Lenin Castillo in his light heavyweight debut. Florian Marku beat Maxim Prodov on a points decision. But the fight I want to talk to you about, Paul, is Campbell Hatton versus Sonny Martinez. And for me, Paul, Campbell Hatton lost every single round. On the bright side, he showed he has an absolutely sensational chin and fight his heart. But he was completely outclassed by Martinez. And from my perspective. I feel as if we're making the wrong decision with Campbell Hatton to put him on these big cards in front of so many people. Because I can't imagine what the pressure is like for a 20 year old boxing in front of 65,000 people in a stadium who had a very limited amateur career and borderline no professional experience. For me, he'd be far better suited to going on small hall shows and gradually building up confidence because it could take a permanent knock if he isn't directed in the right way. Well, that's right. I mean,
3: I don't think you you necessarily deserve to be on these massive shows at such as, you know, the start of your career. And a lot of lads at that stage, they, they do, like you say, they build up at these small smaller arenas, don't we? We've got plenty of, of the smaller venues around the North and, and you know, perhaps he should be in his corn corn that way really and serves serving in his apprenticeship. I mean, you shouldn't really be thrown in somewhere just because your dad was a great fighter. I don't believe in things like that. I think you've got to build up your own legacy and your own reputation. So I think that would suit Campbell to, to do that. And like you said, it might benefit him as well. The pressure's not gonna be as much there on him. he's twenty years of age and he's got that massive sort of reputation of his dad's to live up to. So just going back to the fight at the weekend. I didn't see the fight I've heard a lot about it I've read a lot about it from what I, I believe like you said he, he lost every round and then to win the fight that we start thinking about you know why, why has it gone that way? So that's that's disappointing. It for the for the other fighter, if um, you know, he sounds like he deserved to win that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Campbell Hatton is a talented fighter, and uh, I think he just needs to build his build his career. And you know, he he must have a good team round him, but you just need to advise him a bit better, I think. And I would, I'd, I'd take him away from the limelight for a bit and let him get sort of a dozen a dozen fights under his belt, and then then perhaps bring him back and, and start challenging for England's titles
1: and things like that. Looking ahead to this weekend, Paul, we've got a big fight. Chris Eubank Jr. is taking on Sven Ilber live on Sky Sports. How important is it that Eubank puts in a great performance and looks ahead to a potential rematch with Billy Joe Saunders at the end of the year? And more importantly, how big a night is this for Sky Sports, who are working with promotional outfit boxer for the first time and moving away from matchery? Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm really looking forward to the, this
3: weekend. It's a good uh, bill, it's a good bill, and it's it's a good, it's a good, it's a, it's a good fight for, for Chris Eubank as well. As you said, I'd like to see him put in a big performance and and, and get that that rematch with um, with Billy Joe. So I think that'd be a terrific fight, terrific fight for the British public to see. So let's hope he does. There's another guy on the on the bill, uh, Liam Taylor, who's a local a local lad to me. He um, lives lives in Middleton actually. Bought bought a house off one of my friends actually a few years ago. Liam Taylor, he's he sort of built his career up uh, quite well, and he's in there with David. He's hard to say his second name. anesium and he's a he's a fighter. I've been very impressed with over the over the last few years as well. Real real gritty fight with a good chin. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be a good contest as well. So uh, so we've got a good build coming up this weekend. But as you say, I'd like to see Chris Eubank come up with a. Come with a good performance. I think, you know, he, he's a talented fighter. He's a good character as well to have around British boxing and, uh, you know, it's, he, can, he can deliver fireworks. We've seen him in some tremendous fights and, uh, yeah, big performance from him this weekend. I'm looking forward to this card.
1: Negotiations have been very public for a matchup between Jake Paul and Tommy Fury, with the American offering the Brit a million pounds to step foot in the ring with him in December. Fury has responded to this offer and said he's not interested. He doesn't think a million pounds is enough to even get him out of bed for a fight of this magnitude. What's your stance on this, Paul? Because the fight between the pair of them is going to generate millions and millions with their joint YouTube and Love Island following. But it is four times a bigger offer than Fury has ever been paid before in his career. So should he take the offer or not?
3: I'd take it. (laughs) That that was me and... uh... That Jake Paul wanted me to jump in with him, I'd jump in with him tomorrow for for half that. So well for a quarter of that. <laughs> so no, it's, it's big bucks, isn't it? That and um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Sure, why it, he'd uh, be worrying about that? Really, it's. I mean, I know we we spoke about the, the YouTubers over the last sort of twelve months or so on the show, and and we we've got our own opinions on it, and everybody has, haven't they? But one thing he has done it's, it sort of put boxing in on a, on a massive stage, hasn't it? And um, you know, it's been entertaining. It's an entertaining business, really, like sport. And people have been drawn in by the whole razzmatazz of it. And you know, surely Fury would want to be part of that. Now, I would would think it might propel his career. You know, a big win like that, and you know, um, it, it could send him on to bigger and better things. And, and, and the money. I know sports not all about money, but it uh, could set you up for life, something like that.
1: One of the big criticisms of Dzoun was that they aren't going to make any waves in British public sport without things like football, because nobody's going to just tune in strictly for the boxing without it being publicised on the likes of Sky Sports News outside of the hardcore fans. But it's now looking like Dazon are going to try and buy BT Sport, and if they're capable of doing that, they're going to take all the boxing off that channel. They're going to take the Champions League football, half the Premier League games, the UFC, et cetera. Could they potentially become the biggest power players in British sport if they can do this deal? They could They could possibly do, yeah. I mean, like you say, BT Sport have an awful
3: lot of stuff now, don't they? Champions League and things like that. And that, that's big business in football, isn't it? You know, people want to be a part of that and people want to watch that. I mean, it's a crying shame, I think, sometimes. I mean, some of the, the, the best nights of, I mean, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but some of the best nights of sort of European football have been on like terrestrial telly, haven't they, on ITV and things like that? So, I'm not a big fan of all this of sport being spread all over the place. But, no, like you say, if they could do that deal, they're going to have some some massive nights of sport on there, aren't they? And, and some massive events. So, yeah, they, they could be a massive player in the in the market.
1: Last question of the day for you, Paul, on boxing. Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant have agreed their fight for all four belts in the super middleweight division. And the press conference created a lot of needle between the two. Canelo Alvarez pushing Caleb Plant. Plant responding with a punch, it missed. Canelo throwing back a one-two, cutting Plant underneath his eye, potentially creating a fight-ending cut. Hopefully that gets seen to and the fight doesn't get postponed. In the actual press conference itself, Plant was throwing drug accusations at Canelo, and more specifically at Eddie Renoso, who's had several fighters that he trains test positive. Canelo, of course, got the better of the sort of physical altercation, whereas Caleb Plant got the better of the verbal altercation, who overall came away from this press conference feeling better? Um, I think a bit of a mixed bag there, really, to be honest with you. I mean, I would
3: like to think Canelo is that experience now not to get dragged into something like that. The, the way that, um, uh, I, I did see, not that the way, like the face-off it was, wasn't it, when there was... Um, you know, that pushing and shoving and things like that. I thought it was a bit ridiculous, really, but when you do watch it, though, you say it's ridiculous, but it does sort of put a bit of fire in your belly, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, God, I want to watch this fight because there's that much needle between the two of them and sometimes that can add to the excitement, you know, when you've got that rivalry and that, that grudge match. So, yeah, as you said, the press conference well, very fiery. So, I think there's an awful lot on this fight. I think it's going to be a tremendous contest. I, I fancy Canelo to win it, but uh, you, you just you just admire his speed sometimes, even when he's chucking punches at the, at the face-off there. He, he looks so fast, even when he pushed him, he, his, his arms just seem to come from nowhere and just push him out of the way. So there's an awful lot on that fight. It's going to be another cracker as well, that one. And uh, I think it'll be a close one, but I fancy Canelo to just edge it.
1: Well that's all the boxing that we've got time for today. We'll be back this time next week to review the e-back fight and to preview everything. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder Free. Now I'm gonna throw over to Rob to discuss rugby league. Yeah, the big
0: three big stories of the rugby league locally Paul. We're gonna start with Richard Marshall and Soul Red Devils Parting Company. Um what do you make of it?
3: Uh, very surprised, Rob. Very, very surprised. Um Quite angry about it. To be honest, when I first heard it, I, I didn't think it was the right decision. I mean, I don't know what's gone on. I'll probably never find out what's gone on there. So um, it does seem strange to me. We've, we finished the season quite strong. I thought we had, we should have beat Warrington. It was unlucky in that game. We had an excellent win against Hull and beat St. Helens as well. And we seem to be improving. And players seem to be improving. And, and Richard has, has, has earmarked players for next season. Or you know, Brodie Croft's coming in and Ryan Briley's coming in. And then. you have got you you seem like you've got irons in the fire for next season and plans drawn up and then those plans are just completely scrapped then by you getting rid of your coach and a new coach going to have to come in and is this new coach going to rate the signings that Richard Marshall's made and you're sort of starting all over again so just when we thought we were getting a bit of stability this comes out of nowhere and I think nobody was expecting it so I'd like someone to tell me at the club why they did it but I don't suppose they ever will because those things don't happen do they but no surprised and 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 just feeling sorry, Richard Marshall. Really, I think he's had a lot to deal with over the year. He's obviously everybody's had the COVID situation. We all know that, but he's played an awful lot of games behind closed doors. It, it must have been difficult. That he's had been hell of a lot of injuries and suspensions, and, and and I know some of the disciplines been been our own doing. But I think he deserved another twelve months, or, or at least the start of the season, just to, to put things right. So we've seen a very hasty decision to me. Like I said, don't know what's gone on, so. Uh, yeah, just just disappointed, and obviously moving on now and looking forward to who the who the new coach is going to be. But I'd like to w- wish Richard Marshall all the best in his career going forward because very very decent man and um, always very honest when he's spoken to us too in interviews and things like that. So uh, he always given us plenty of time. So nice nice fellow and good luck.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who. You- comes in as replacement Chris Chester's available James Ford at York Danny Ward just left London or do you have to go with someone like Brian McDermott ex-Leeds ex-Bradford or are we going to go for Paul Rowley who's already in the system
3: um, I'd probably say we probably go for Paul Rowley or we've been talking to him because he's there um, it's up to Paul whether he wants it. I don't know if he applied last time. He, does he want to do the job? I'd have no problem with him if he did. Very knowledgeable bloke. Nice, nice fellow to speak to as well. Get some of the media. Uh, decent, decent man, but lot of knowledge as well. he will be continuity at the club. Uh, the other guys you mentioned, you know, Chris Chester. All due respect to Chris. Is he as, is he as good as Richard Marshall? I, I don't know. he's did a decent job at Wakefield. I think under limited resources. Brian McDermott's not a man I'd like to see at Salford, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know. Um, I've always not really been a big fan of, of his style of play. I mean, I know he did very well at Leeds and things like that, but um, it always comes across to me as a Yorkshire person and not the sort of person we'd have at Salford. So, yeah. I don't know. I think whoever gets the job, you've got to get behind. You know, whoever did get the job, I'd be right behind him and as I know you would, Rob. So, um, we've just got to hope the club make the right decision now. And, you know, the Richard Marshall decisions done and dusted now isn't it it just seem a shame to me really it's it's not a nice part company with a coach but I think it was the, the time span really I mean he's not even been there 12 months if you think back 12 months ago we were still under Ian Watson and, and heading to Wembley in the Challenge Cup weren't we so um, he's only been at South for sort of 9 months 10 months max so it's a shame that really and uh, just when we thought we were turning the corner So so yeah disappointed bit shocked but uh, looking forward to the future and to be honest with you I'm looking forward to a bit of time off rugby league now and not worrying about Solford for a couple of months
0: yeah let's talk about Swinton Lions they've had Lewis Robert nominated uh, as young player of the year um, for 2021 um, by the RFL he's been a really good uh, player for Swinton this season scoring tries creating things and you know they're looking at a great future for this lad
3: they certainly are yeah we know about him we've seen him at Salford didn't we and um you know he's, he's he's also represented his country already at different age levels, hasn't he? And um, very very talented kid, plenty of pace. You know, he's got a bit of height on him there as well, hasn't he? And uh, I think once he fills out a bit more as well, he's going to be a really good uh, really good player. I mean, he's had a great season as it is he? in a, in, a, in a very tough league in that championship. So uh, he's done he's serving his apprenticeship. He'll be learning all the time and. No, and good luck to him as well. I think it's great that, you know, we've, we've got young players in the local area that are doing well and Swinton have got a bit of a gem there. They've, they've had some good players come through their system and, and play for them over the last few years. I mean, they snapped up Matty Ashton from, from Rochdale Mayfield in the amateurs scene, didn't they? And you look how well he's gone on after progressing and leaving Swinton and going to Warrington. He's a, he's a real top player. So, so yeah, good luck to, to Lewis. I think he can definitely uh, be back in Super League, hopefully one day, playing for, uh, for someone. If it's not Swinton, then somebody else.
0: Yeah, uh, final uh, bit of news, uh, Paul. Uh, Salford, Red uh, devil's winger, Ken Seal has been uh, nominated uh, in the Super League Dream Team of 2021. Uh, he was Super League's top try scorer this year, scored 19 tries for Salford, uh, won a lot of awards at the players' even as well. So it shows how much of a great year he's had and what kind of talent he is.
3: Yeah, and he missed quite a few games as well, didn't he? Uh, Early doors, he injury too, two and, and one or two other bits of bobs so I don't think he played every game this season so to score 19 tries is a tremendous uh, tremendous return and uh, yeah I'm so happy that he's, he signed his new contract as well hasn't he which is great there was an awful lot of talk about him leaving and one thing and another so for him to be staying next season He's one of the best finishers in the Super League, isn't he, Ken? So will give him half a chance and he'll take it. So I think he's a massive plus that we'll be keeping hold of Ken. And delighted that he's got into the Dream Team as well. I think that was great. You know, we saw that the other day. He just showed you the hard work he's done this season and some of his great try scores has been rewarded. So, you know, great news for Ken.
0: Yeah, and obviously that two-year contract, a big step uh, psychologically, I think, for the clubbers. Obviously, with everything going on, uh, we need our Best players to be playing for Salt. We
3: certainly do, Rob. And um, as I said, there, Cancio is one of those. I mean, every club in the league. I mean, if he was on offer there, Cancio I think you'd see most sides making a bid for him because he's he's hot property. You know, top player, top winger, top finisher and um, I'm, I'm delighted we, we've got him for next season because he'll score tries for us. You get a decent centre alongside Ken Seo. He'll score 15, 20 tries for you in a season, and, and that's what you need. Everybody needs a, a player like that, so I'm not so sure who else we're going to be bringing in, but uh, to have Ken CEO on one side is uh, is a big plus for us.
0: Yeah, obviously looking at the rest of the Super League dream team, uh, Paul, you got Sam Tompkins, the Catalan fullback. Uh, you know, he's in there. Tom Davis, also from Catalan. Jack Wells, uh, Wellsby, Mark Percival, Arkencio, Johnny Lomax, uh, James Maloney, Alex Warnsley, Cruz Leaning from Leeds, Sam Cassiano, Liam Farrell, Kane. Linnett and Morgan Knowles, uh, with about a minute to go, uh, Paul. Can it's important? Obviously, you know these players are highlighted and and create uh, that magic uh, moving forward.
3: Yeah, quite a surprise that Warrington have got
0: no players in there. They've got
3: some real superstars in their team, and a bit of a disappointing season for them, really, wasn't it? L- losing to Old Car and the players Kane Linnett at Car. I think he's a real good player. You know, sometimes, you know, those sort of players don't get the limelight like, because they're not playing on the top side. So, delighted he's got because I thought he's been great when I've seen him. The rest of the players in there, Sam Tompkins, great season as well. I mean, he's got a good shout at getting the man of steel. So, uh, so yeah, as we go forward in the semi-finals, I and mean, the players, we're looking forward to them coming up this week. And, you know, hopefully, I'd like to get to the grand final, hopefully, with a bit of luck. So, we're uh, looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, obviously, with a minute to go, um, do you think any soul players will be looking at breaking into that next season?
3: Into the dream team. Mm. Definitely, yeah, of course I think Ken Seal will be up for it again uh, Brody Croft's coming over with a big reputation from Australia I mean, a lot is going to be pinned on him next season if he can uh, be, be the man to sort of guide us around the pitch and it will be a real uh, hot stepper for us so uh, I bet he's he's one of those players that you know we, we've got to look forward to seeing as well so yeah, why not?
0: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, we're going to be talking all about it on the Sport Zone uh, this, uh, this week and, and the rest of the, the year to come. And it's always uh, exciting to talk all things sport in Salford with the Rugby League and the football and the ice hockey and the boxing and also the UFC. There's lots and lots to talk about on the show. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.